You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Uh, It was a week ago this past Friday, after taking a tepid shower, I went down to check, see what was going on with the uh, water heater. And as I stepped off the last step from the stairs onto the carpet in the basement, there was a little splash sound. And all I did was I stopped and I said, and we have a problem. Now, I don't know about you, I, it, I kind of feel bad. I wrote this illustration before this whole thing of Florence took over. Uh, people were dealing with a whole lot more than just a little bit of water in their basement. But after we kind of did further examination, it was clear we were going to have to buy a new water heater. And uh, a small flood, and that's what we had, was a very, very small flood, but a flood none the least, isn't something you can ignore. You have to deal with it. It needed immediate attention. And so I went and shut the water off, and then we started making phone calls to get the people there who we needed to help us. And then uh, we started moving furniture and other things out of, out of harm's way. <laughs> the Apostle Paul, who wrote the letter to the Galatians that we're going to study over the next four weeks, and I hope you'll try to be here for these four weeks because I think it's insightful into what goes into an authentic faith? Well, he wrote this letter as a result to one of those we-have-a-problem moments in his life. Paul had a we-have-a-problem situation that required his immediate attention. And this letter to the Galatians was Paul's response to this theological crisis that was happening in the southern part of the province of Galatia. In a world filled with trouble, it's becoming more and more difficult to find any good news. Would you agree? It seems like all the platforms, all the, all the channels that I seem to monitor, they're, they're just so full of difficult realities, bad news. Well, for the person who has put their faith in Jesus as Savior, there is really good news. In fact, The gospel is the term that is defined as good news. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. He said, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. It is good news that sinners can be forgiven of their sins, and they can go to heaven because of what Jesus did on the cross. That is good news. The good news of salvation through faith in Jesus is the most important message in all the world. This message had changed Paul's life. And through him, it changed the lives of thousands of people while he was on this planet, and millions and millions since. Paul was probably writing this letter that we call the letter to the Galatians, probably to a group of churches in the southern province of Galatia, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, probably those four churches. These were churches that he planted when he was on his very first mission trip. You can read about it in Acts the 13th and 14th chapters if you want to go a little deeper. 
This infant church, this brand new church in the southern part of Galatia, was drifting toward its first doctrinal crisis. You see, when the gospel was being preached to Jews by Jews, the development of the church progressed rather smoothly. But as the ambassadors of Christ pushed the gospel into largely Gentile communities and the gospel began to take root there, questions arose regarding Christians' relationship to the Old Testament law of Moses and this religious system known as Judaism. Here was the crucial issue. Was it necessary for a Gentile believer to observe the Old Testament law of Moses in order to become a Christian? Christianity has its roots in Judaism, right? That's where the Messiah came from. Was that required to subscribe or adhere to the Old Testament law? Questions like this began to arise throughout the Roman Empire where the church had been planted among Gentiles. Paul had taught this gospel to the Galatians, and they had received it well. And Paul planted these churches in Galatia, and then he moved on to plant other churches. We know that he visited the area at least one other time after being there originally to plant the churches. We're not sure how he got word as to what was going on, but sometime later, Paul received word that the Galatian believers were on the verge of leaving the faith that they had previously received so openly. You see, some Jewish teachers who were legalists, they had arrived from Jerusalem claiming to have been sent by James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, and one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. These, These Jewish legalists came and they began to teach that Paul was wrong in his doctrine. And they argued that the Gentiles had to come under the law of Moses in order to be saved. It was not enough for them to believe in Jesus as their Savior, to confess Him, to repent of their sins and be baptized into Jesus. It wasn't enough. They also had to include Moses in their system. Paul was immediately filled with righteous indignation. That's a nice way of saying he was ticked off. (laughs) he quickly realized if the views of the legalists prevailed, grace and the cross of Jesus would be emptied of all value. And eventually, Christianity would lose its distinctive character, and soon it would become little more than a minor sect of Judaism. In righteous anger, Paul wrote this letter to rebuke the legalism and take back the Galatian churches for Christ. As you read Paul's letter to the Galatians, you will immediately tell that there is something radically different. Because Paul doesn't open his letter like he usually does, with the typical praise of God and prayer for the saints. Because he has no time for that. Paul is about to take on the false teachers who are spreading a false, we'll call it gospel right now. And there is a serious doctrinal problem that is taking root in the churches in Galatia. And Paul is not going to stand by and do nothing about it. He's going to fight for it. What we see from Paul in this letter is how crucial it is to defend the truth. How vitally important it is to fight for the gospel. We live in a time where a lot of people do not agree, do not recognize the Bible as an authority from God. And I'm not asking you to be a jerk about it when you defend it. 
But I really strongly want to encourage you to hold the line. Fight for the truth. In the opening of this letter, Paul makes three key facts known, which will explain that he is writing this letter to actually defend the gospel. So the first of these facts is simply this. Paul explains his authority. He explains his authority. He doesn't do it arrogantly, but he wants people to know that he has a little bit of standing in the kingdom of God. Now, why was, his, why, was, why was this important? Why did Paul need to explain who he was or where his standing was? Well, because people listen to people in authority most of the time. And so Paul wanted them to know, hey, within the scope of the kingdom of God, you need to know, I have some credentials, please. Paul had deep affection for the Galatians, but he carefully lets them know the authority he has comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from man, it comes from God. His authority has a number of facets to it, and I want to look at those this morning. The first of these is he's an apostle, and he says it right out of the gate. Look at verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Paul, an apostle. Now, you've heard me say this before. These were probably written on scrolls, and so when you unroll a scroll, you would see that it's from Paul. You didn't have to unroll it all the way like we put our salutation at the end of a letter. You know, sincerely, Monty. Your friend, love, in Christ, Monty. You know, that kind of thing, right? Paul says, Paul, right at the top. So they go, oh, this is Paul. Paul, an apostle. He goes on, he says, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Paul starts out and he says, it's Paul, I'm writing to you. And just in case you've forgotten, I'm an apostle I'm an apostle. In the early days of the church, God called special people to do special tasks, and among those were the apostles. While Jesus was ministering on the earth, he had a number of disciples. They were learners or students. And out of those, he selected 12 apostles. Now, the word apostle, it means one who is sent with a commission. Later, after Jesus had resurrected from the dead, one of the requirements for a person to become an apostle was that that individual had to have witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. Of course, Paul himself was neither a disciple nor an apostle during Jesus' earthly ministry. But he had seen the risen Lord, and he had been commissioned by Jesus. We see that in, in 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. His enemies, though, they didn't see Paul as a true apostle. Paul was careful, though, to point out that he had been made an apostle by Jesus just as much as had the original 12. His apostleship was not from human selection, but it was made by divine appointment. Therefore, he had the authority to deal with the problems that were happening in the Galatian churches. So Paul's authority stems first from the fact that he's an apostle, but there's another basis for his authority. He planted these churches. He's not a stranger to these people. They know him. They know him and they love him. He wasn't writing to them as somebody out of the blue, but he was the one who had brought the message of life at the very beginning. 
These churches are there because Paul showed up and started working to plant a church there. This letter reveals Paul's deep affection for these believers. He loved them, and he was willing to fight for them to know the truth. This past week, we remembered 9-11. Hard to believe. 17 years ago. And we remembered, I'm sure many of you, like me, watched replays of the horrific attacks and then the heroic actions of the first responders. Following 9-11, the Department of Defense started to notice something remarkable happening. There was this increase in people joining the military. In fact, in an article that they wrote shortly after 9-11, that they were describing the increase in recruitment. And there's an interview with this recruiter, army recruiter, her name was Sergeant Sherry Deppenbrock. And this is what she said about the recruits. She said, it was all about patriotism. They, these new recruits, they didn't care about anything else. Money had nothing to do with it. I think half of those kids would have joined if we didn't, if we hadn't paid them. The annual Pentagon survey found that 8% increase among, there was an 8% increase among young men likely to enlist immediately after 9-11. And that, that continued for a number of years. People will fight for things they believe in. People will put their lives on the line for things that they believe deeply about. People will defend the things that they love, even to death. And that was what Paul was all about. Paul had been persecuted, he'd been imprisoned, he'd been beaten because of the gospel. It was that important to him. Paul had this loving concern for his converts and a deep desire to see the churches that he had planted glorifying Jesus. He was not content to lead people to Christ and then simply abandon them. When Paul heard that the false teachers had started to lead these converts astray... He was deeply concerned. You see, after teaching new Christians how to live for Christ is as much a part of the Great Commission as winning them to Christ. Sadly, many of the Galatian Christians, though, were turning away from their spiritual father, the Apostle Paul, and were now following legalistic teachers who were mixing the Old Testament with the gospel of God's grace. These false teachers were called Judaizers because they were trying to entice Christians to enter into the Jewish religious system as part of their salvation. Paul had the authority to deal with the problems in these churches because he had planted them. He had relationship with them. There's another facet of Paul's authority, and that is his message. His message. Look at verses 3 and 4. He gives us this. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. From the very beginning of this letter, the absolute beginning, Paul clearly wants everyone to know that the message of the gospel is essential, it's pivotal, it is the focus. And it's the message that the Judaizers were trying to change. 
He's saying, this is the gold standard. These guys are trying to mess it up. The gospel centers on one person. That's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he gave his life on the cross. Jesus paid for the price for forgiveness of sinners. And he sets us free from the bondage of sin. In fact, freedom in Christ is a dominant theme in this letter. The Judaizers, though, they wanted to lead the Christians out of the freedom that they have in grace because they can't control that. And they want to lead them into the bondage of the law. They taught that in addition to God's grace, you also had to obey the Old Testament laws in order to be saved. Paul knew that Christ had died to set men free. And that didn't include living in the bondage of legalism. Well, there's another facet, one last facet of Paul's, Paul's authority, and that was his motive. His motive. Look at verse 5. He says, To whom be glory forever and ever. And this drafts off. He's talking about God in, the, in verse 4. And then he says, To him, to God, be glory forever and ever. Now, the false teachers weren't ministering for the glory of Christ, but they were ministering for their own glory. Like false teachers today, the Judaizers weren't busy winning lost people to Christ. Rather, they were trying to steal other people's converts and then bragging about their own statistics. Here's the thing about Paul, though. His motives were crystal clear. They were were pure as the driven snow. Paul wanted to glorify Jesus, period. That was it. Paul didn't want credit for this. He wanted all to go to the Lord. Paul's authority was vitally important, and he explains his credentials right out of the gate as he begins this letter. He wants people to know why you should listen to him. But there's another key fact that that Paul writes in defending the gospel, and that is Paul expresses his agitation. He is frustrated. As I said earlier, he's kind of ticked off. Look what he says in verses 6 and 7. He says, I'm astonished. Have your parents ever been astonished with you? You know better, right? I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul is frustrated, and he wants them to know that. Have your ever, parents ever said, I am disappointed in you? You knew better than that. I would rather them spank me, you know, than, uh, and I was 30 at the time when they said it. I mean, seriously, <laughs> I would rather have them say spank, I'd rather have them ground me than have them look at me and go, we are disappointed in you. And you get a little bit of that from Paul here, don't you? He's saying, I am astonished, I am stunned that you're drifting this way so easily. Paul is frustrated by all of this. Let me give you a couple reasons for his frustration. The first one that he gives us here is the Galatians are deserting the grace of God. He said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. Astonished. The verb indicates that they were in the process of deserting but they hadn't fully deserted. They hadn't fully turned away. Paul's writing. He's saying, hey, I I still believe there's hope for you to come back. God called them through grace, 
and he saved them from their sins. And now they're moving from grace back under the law. These were Gentiles. They didn't even know what it meant to live under the law. And they're abandoning freedom for legalism. And they're doing it very quickly without even consulting Paul. The Galatian believers were not simply changing religions or changing churches, but they're actually abandoning the very grace of God. They're deserting the very God who gave them grace. God saved them, and now they were deserting him for human leaders who would bring them into spiritual bondage. We must never forget the Christian life is a living relationship with God through Jesus Christ. A person doesn't become a Christian merely by agreeing to a set of doctrines. We become a Christian by submitting our lives to Jesus and putting our faith in him. Listen to what Romans eleven six says. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. The writer of Romans is saying, if, if works had worked, you wouldn't need grace. Grace wouldn't even exist. But works didn't work. Turning from grace to the law is to desert the one who saved us. Well, there's another thing that's really frustrating uh, Paul. It's giving him serious heartburn here, and that is the Judaizers. They were guilty of another sin that gave Paul great heartburn, and that was they were perverting the gospel. The Judaizers claim to be preaching the gospel, but there can't be two gospels, one centered on works and the other centered on grace. Paul is saying that they were not preaching another gospel, but a different message. I love the way the New Living Translation translates this part of the verse. It says, but it's a different message that pretends to be the good news. It's faking it. It's pretending, hey, look at us. We're real, this is true, yeah, right. And it's not. (laughs) He said they're faking it, they're pretending. It's so different from the true gospel that it is no gospel at all, Paul says. Like cultists today, the Judaizers would say, we believe in Jesus Christ just like you do. But we have something wonderful to add to the gospel. As if any person could ever add something to better the gospel of God. The word translated at the end of verse 7, pervert, is probably different than the way we think of it. It means to turn about or to change into the opposite direction. A lot of times this word is translated to reverse. In other words, the Judaizers had reversed the gospel. They were headed toward freedom and now they're turning it around and heading it back towards legalism. They turned it around and they were taking it back to the Old Testament law. What was this, all of this deserting and perverting doing in the body of the churches there in Galatia? Well, verse 7 says it was troubling them. That's the way the King James translates it. The NIV says it's throwing them into confusion. The verb that he uses here, the troubling them or throwing them into confusion carries the idea of perplexity. It's unrest. No wonder Paul's agitated about his converts because their very actions are creating the unrest within the body. It's creating the trouble, the confusion in the body there in Galatia. 
Well, there's another source of Paul's agitation. And that is the Galatians were experiencing anxiety because of the false doctrines. That's the trouble. Grace always leads to peace. But the believers had deserted grace, and the result was they had no peace in their hearts. When a Christian turns away from living by God's grace, he then has to depend on his own power, and this often leads to failure and disappointment. God called you out of that. Why would you ever go back to that? No wonder Paul was agitated, frustrated, His Christian friends were deserting the God of grace. They were perverting the grace of God. And now they were reverting to living by the flesh. They began their Christian lives in the spirit. Now they were going to try to continue their lives in the power of the flesh. And this is a recipe for failure. Paul starts out by explaining his authority and why you should listen to him. And then he gives a number of reasons why he's frustrated. He's agitated by what's going on in Galatia. And then Paul makes known the third key fact and why he wrote this letter to defend the gospel. And that is Paul exposes his adversaries. He's calling out his enemies. It's not, it's not going to be hard to find out early and often who's Paul's focus of attention here. People fight for things that they love, don't they? They fight for things that they love. We will defend people and principles that we hold dearly and value deeply. And the Bible talks about the things that we hold dearly as Christians. Psalm 97 verse 10 says, Let those who love the Lord hate evil. Romans 12 9 says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. We have to stand against false truth. We have to stand against evil. And Paul waged war against it. Paul waged war. This is the theme of our men's retreat this year. They're talking about waging spiritual war. If you, I want to encourage you, Micah mentioned something about uh, signing up at the uh, table out there. I, I would encourage every man here, if you're free that weekend, or if you're not, figure out a way to get free and uh, join us for that. It's going to be a great weekend. Paul talked about waging war. That's what we're going to talk about at the men's retreat. And he's waging war against false teachers because Paul loved the truth and he loved these churches. He loved the people who were in these different churches. And like a loving father who guards his daughter until she is married, Paul watched over his converts so they weren't seduced into sin. Paul exposed his enemies in two ways, calls them out in two ways. The first one is he exposed the false gospel that they was preached by the Judaizers. You know, the test of an individual's ministry success is not the popularity of it. It's not even whether or not they perform signs and wonders. The true test of one's, of one's ministry is whether or not they were faithful to the word of God. Isaiah 8.20 says this. This is a great verse. Look what he says. Look to God's instructions and teachings. Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. Jesus had committed the gospel to the apostle Paul, and he in turn had committed it to other faithful servants. And we read in Galatians 1.8, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, 
Let them be under God's curse. The Judaizers had come along and substituted their false gospel for the truth. And Paul's saying, that is a big mistake. Big, huge. Because of this sin, Paul pronounced them cursed. The Greek word here that he uses is the Greek word anathema, which means dedicated to destruction. It's saying, anathema is saying, that car is destined for the crusher. That's what he's saying here. No matter who the preacher may be, he said, even if it was me or an angel from heaven and we came down and we preached a gospel different than the one you first heard, we would be accursed. We would be cursed by God, dedicated to destruction. Paul exposes his enemies for the false gospel that they're preaching. And he also exposed the false motives of the Judaizers. He said, when they said, when Paul is with the Jews, he lives like a Jew. But when he's with you guys, Gentiles, he lives like a Gentile. He's not real. He's a man pleaser. Therefore, you cannot trust what he says. But in reality, it was the false teachers who were the man pleasers. Listen to what Paul writes later in Galatians. Galatians, the fourth chapter, he says, those false teachers are so eager to win your favor But their intentions are not good. They are trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. As a high school senior, I auditioned and was selected as a member of the Iowa All-State Chorus. This was a big deal to me. And I got to be honest, my parents were always supportive of me. And they were there at Iowa State University's Hilton Coliseum to the night of that Allstate concert. I remember looking around right before the concert and I start I was staring all around the arena looking to try to see if I could find my parents. And I was just standing there, I had my school's robes on, our choir robes. I represented my school. I saw my dad up in the upper deck and he's got his fists up and he's pumping like he's psyched, you know, at a sporting event. And I know my dad always wanted me to be an all-stater. I just think he thought it would be in football or wrestling, not necessarily in the choir. But this was the biggest deal ever had happened in my life and I was so grateful. I wanted to do my best that night at that concert, not because it was just, just because it was a big honor, But it was my dad's approval that night that meant the most to me. In our lives, I wonder whose approval we desire the most. The Judaizers wanted the Galatians to praise them. They were looking for the approval of men. But Paul pointed the Galatians to God. He wanted God to be the one that got all the approval and recognition Paul knew what suffering for the gospel meant. I mean, he believed in the gospel that much he was willing to suffer and be punished for it. But the approval or disapproval of men did not move him one bit. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, he says, So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. Paul wanted the approval of Christ and Christ alone. 
Paul wasn't a politician. He was an ambassador. His task was not to play politics to get his way, but to proclaim the message of Jesus. The Judaizers, on the other hand, they were compromisers who mixed grace and the law, hoping to please both Jews and Gentiles, but they weren't concerned about pleasing God at all. Paul made these three key facts known as he opens this letter. He is serving notice that he is writing to defend the gospel, and he's going to fight for it. He was prepared to engage these false teachers if it meant him against the host of them. It didn't matter. He was going to defend the truth. Here's the, here's the fact. The world will fight against the truth in the Bible, but authentic faith always stands firmly on the Word of God. Paul's writing to defend that faith. He's writing to defend God's grace because it was grace that set us free. It's grace that saved us from our sins, and it is worth defending. Truth is always, always worth defending. I want to encourage you to stand on the truth. There are going to be waves of the culture that wash over us at times and push us and try to strain our foundation and stretch us and pull us. And the truth is, don't don't be moved. Stand firm and fight for it. There are people who will push against the truth of the gospel and you will stand so that you can share that same message with them even though they hate it. As I said earlier, don't be a jerk about it. But in loving grace, let them know how much God loves them and what he did for them. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the good news of the gospel that tells us about your grace, your plan to save man from sin. Jesus said that he is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And God, I just pray that everybody here knows they need Jesus in order to be saved. And the truth is, he's all that that they need. God, thank you for sending Jesus. I pray that you'll move every heart here to realize the need that we have to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of our lives, to have those sins that we have in our lives washed away, have the gift of eternal life in heaven with you. Lord, there's some in here who say, I'm not sure anybody can forgive what I've done. The truth is, Jesus can. God, I pray you'll help us to defend grace. Stand for it like Paul did so that we can share grace. Lord, help us to defend it so that no one misses out on the message that could save them from this life and the bondage and set them free for all eternity. God, I pray people don't miss that today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.